0: Welcome to the Equine Veterinary Education Podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Equine Veterinary Education Podcast. I'm your host, Timo Pranger, and my guest today is Dr. Kate Hepworth Warren, a clinical assistant professor of Equine Internal Medicine at North Carolina State University. That means that Kate is one of my co-workers and someone I work with quite frequently in the hospital when we have cases where surgery and medicine are involved. Because of that, I know how passionate Kate is about her clinical work and her research. And therefore, I am confident that she will be able to discuss this somewhat complicated topic today with me in a way that keeps our listeners engaged. So, Kate, why don't you take over and introduce yourself briefly and please, as I just mentioned, do your best to keep the audience awake.
1: I will do my very best to do that. Um, As Timo said, I'm Kate Hepworth-Warren and I'm an internal medicine specialist here at NC State. Um, I did my undergrad and vet school education at Purdue University and then did my equine internal medicine residency at Iowa State. Um, After that, I Then spent a few years in private kind of mixed animal practice or large animal practice doing primarily equine, but also some small ruminants and food animals in New Jersey um, before then moving down to the southeast. Um, And the reason behind um, kind of my interest in this topic is I did my resident research project on um, tetra starches and hydroxyethyl starch solutions in healthy neonatal foals. That's what kind of spurred my initial interest in this topic.
0: Thanks, Kate. And so staying on that topic, you recently published a review article in EVE titled Revisiting the Use of Hydroxyethyl Starch Solutions in Equine Fluid Therapy. And as that title suggests, and I assume that's based on your research and your interest in the topic, topic you think it's time for equine veterinarians to reconsider the use of these colloids. So tell our listeners about that. How did you come to that conclusion?
1: So over the past 10 to 15 years, there's been quite a hot debate um, in both human and small animal medicine as to whether or not synthetic colloids, specifically uh, hydroxyethyl starch solutions, are actually safe to use in critical and septic patients. So multiple studies have documented an association between these solutions and increased mortality, coagulopathies, and acute kidney injuries, mostly in humans, but also um, to a degree in small animal patients. So for ease, I'm probably going to say H- HES solutions moving forward because it's kind of a mouthful to keep saying hydroxyethyl starch. The kind of bigger human interest part of this uh, debate is that in 2010, one of the most prolific researchers of HES solutions who was um, a German scientist, was who was also one of the biggest proponents of these solutions, was charged with scientific misconduct. So that charge then led to 89 of his groups, nearly um, over 100 publications, being retracted from the literature, which then prompted a second look by other groups at a number of meta analyses that had previously included his data. Uh, a lot of his studies were the ones that had shown um, a pretty big benefit to utilizing these solutions, so unsurprisingly, data that had previously made these seem very positive was no longer as convincing. And while the HCS solutions have often been considered a more economical and potentially safer colloid option than um, the natural alternative, which would be plasma in horses, sadly, this may not
0: actually be the case. Yeah, I saw when I, when I read your introduction, I saw the phrase perceived benefits of colloids over crystalloids. Um, can you talk a little bit about these perceived benefits? Yeah, that's a fantastic question that actually has multiple
1: factors in the answer. Uh, so, historically, HES solutions were administered in patients considered to either have or be at risk for having um, low oncotic pressure. And in the equine world, usually this is horses that have colic or colitis that have significant hypoalbuminemia due to protein loss through the GI tract. Now, however, many researchers are actually questioning whether or not maintaining normal oncotic pressure really has any actual effect on patient outcome and survival. There's also now a much more thorough understanding of fluid dynamics, and there's been a revision to Starling's equation, which also impacts how these solutions probably function, and we can touch on that a little bit more later uh so to begin with um i think it's really important as boring as it may be that people understand exactly what HCS solutions are and how they work many people hear the word head of starch and assume that this is kind of an umbrella term for all HCS solutions and that they're all created equal which is not true so these solutions are starch solutions that come from maize or potato starch where part of the glucose molecules have been replaced with synthetic hydroxyethyl starch units So adding the HES molecules increases the stability of the solution by increasing its resistance to amylase, which is the enzyme that breaks it down, and also increasing its um, hydrophilic properties. So by substituting these molecules, the HES solutions then create positive forces on oncotic pressure when they've been um, administered intravenously, and they can increase oncotic pressure and secondarily tissue perfusion. There's actually been um, a number of different HDS solutions over the years, and they differ in the number of glucose subunit substitutions, the ratio of the substitution sites, because there are different carbon molecules on which you can have these substitutions, and then also the concentration of the carrier solutions. Um, They are named based on the number of substitutions. So in fact, Heta starch, which is just one type of hydroxyethyl starch solution, has seven HES molecules for every 10 glucose molecules. Solutions then are also classified by the average molecular weight of the starch molecules, so older, more highly substituted HES products generally have higher molecular weights. While all this is pretty deep and pretty heavy on physiology and basic chemistry, and it might seem unimportant. The molecular weight actually plays a really big role in how oncotically active a solution is. So the molecular weight is the average weight of the particles in a solution. So solutions with a higher molecular weight generally have a lower number of larger active particles in the solution. But the effect of a solution on oncotic pressure is actually determined by the number and not the size of the oncotically active particles. So Solutions with lower molecular weight actually exert more oncotic pressure than those with higher molecular weights because they have a higher number of smaller particles. Um, Currently, the newest product available is a TetraStarch, which has a pretty low molecular weight of about 130 kilodaltons. Some of the older products had about 450 kilodaltons, and it is marketed under the trade name of
0: BetStarch. So what's the... Sorry to interrupt there, Kate, but what is the... um... Over how many years has this change taken place that those solutions have shifted from those high uh, molecular weight solutions to like the more recent uh, lower ones? So just for listeners to have an idea um, yeah, of the time frame talking about here.
1: Yeah. So TetraStarch came out probably um, about 10 years ago now, at least on the veterinary market, I think it was available on the human market before that. So I would say the older solutions have probably been around for 20 or 30 or more years, but the okay. newest solution probably came out a little over a decade now. So it's not, it's not really that new anymore. It's just that, you know, as per usual, veterinary medicine's a little bit behind human medicine and catching up.
0: Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. And then I think, um, this was leading up to, um, talking about the, the, um, understanding of the adverse effects, correct?
1: Uh, yes, that is correct. So obviously if you're, any drug that you're giving, you should understand what potential adverse effects may occur. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't think about with these HDS solutions. They're viewed as kind of this miracle way to improve blood pressure and perfusion and, um, Unfortunately, that's not all that they do. So there isn't actually a lot of evidence to support that these um, adverse effects happen regularly in horses, but that's really more of a reflection of the lack of prospective studies that we have in sick horses as opposed to the evidence that they're safer in horses and other species. It's been repeatedly documented um, that HCS solutions can lead to acute kidney injury, coagulopathies, and most important of all, increased mortality in septic human patients. So in fact, in humans, HCS solutions have actually been completely removed from the European markets due to major studies that showed an increased risk of adverse effects and mortality in septic patients that received them. Uh, they do tend to use higher doses in humans, so most of the studies in humans talk about a recommended daily limit of fifty mils per kg, whereas opposed to a lot of the equine studies um, and some of the small animal studies, stay closer to twenty mil per kg um, per day, which could potentially explain why some of these adverse effects seem to occur. However, as I said before, um, it's also we're using them less frequently, and there's much um, a much lower number of comprehensive studies that have actually been performed. Most of the studies that have been for, performed in horses at all were actually performed in healthy, stable horses. A number of them were performed in horses under general anesthesia. And there's only been a couple in ones that were actually ill. So um, if you find yourself in a situation that you think may justify the use of so- these solutions, there's also been some updates on fluid dynamics, which goes... All the way back to basic physics and chemistry um, in the literature that may actually make you think twice about whether or not these would actually be useful.
0: And let me guess, you will need to talk about some physiology now to make this clear to the listeners. Is that right?
1: Yes, unfortunately, yes. So even if our host falls asleep, hopefully all of you out there can remain awake.
0: Um, just Go ahead, Kate. Do it. (laughs)
1: So I'm sure most of us um, can vaguely remember Starling's equation. So as a brief summary, the original equation describes how the filtration of fluids across a membrane is affected by the oncotic and hydrostatic pressure of the blood vessels and the oncotic and hydrostatic pressure of the surrounding interstitium and tissues. So utilizing that equation, increasing the oncotic pressure within the vasculature was thought to actually exert a force that would pull fluid back into the vascular space when it had leaked out due to protein loss. So in theory, if this were true, and this is why colloids initially were thought to be so beneficial, is that if you were then to administer an HCS solution or any other colloid, it was thought to have the ability to actually draw fluid that had leaked into the interstitium, such as an edema, back into the vascular space. However, it's now been suggested that the glycocalyx, which is a layer of proteoglycans that are bound to the endothelium in vessels, actually interferes with the flow of fluids across these gradients, and that in health, it's actually completely impermeable to starch molecules. Therefore, it's unlikely that you can actually draw fluid back into the vasculature once it has leaked out.
0: I actually thought that was a very interesting part of the paper, even though it was uh, physiology um, and this this statement that it's unlikely that you can actually accomplish what at least I was you know, still taught um, in vet school. And even after that you can draw fluid back into the vasculature. I thought that was a very important um, component here. So um, where does that leave us regarding real benefits of colloids versus crystalloids?
1: Yeah, so colloids in general do provide a much more significant volume expansion within the vascular space than crystalloids while giving a much smaller infusion volume. They also persist for a longer time in the vascular space, uh, whereas crystalloids redistribute within minutes of infusion. So theoretically, you can have increased blood pressure and tissue perfusion while decreasing the risk for fluid overload. However, some of these things that give them that benefit such as the increased time in the vasculature, are also the things that can potentially lead to some
0: adverse effects. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think we're going to go back to that in a minute, the adverse effects, which is, is kind of um, the other thing that I really took from your paper is just saying that there isn't much evidence in horses that it causes adverse effects doesn't mean um, these uh, adverse effects don't exist; they just haven't been documented in this specific species. So I'm I'm interested to hear about that and your take on on that. But um, so there has been obviously interest in HES solutions on your end since your residency. But uh, what about other available synthetic or natural colloids? Is there anything that you need to mention um about them here as a comparison to HES solutions um to put um this all in perspective for our listeners?
1: Yeah, so there has been some research looking at dextrans and gelatin solutions as an alternative to HCS solutions, but um, to my knowledge, they've never really taken off or become widely used, especially not in the veterinary market. Um, Plasma, obviously, is the major natural colloid that we use in equine practice. Um, You know, like any biologic, it does carry the risk of inducing anaphylactic reactions. It's also quite expensive, and the shelf life obviously is much shorter than um, than an HCS solution that can be stable on the shelf for a lot longer. However, honestly, with, at some institutions, the cost of the newer generation HCS solutions is pretty comparable to plasma. So, I think in a lot of instances, uh, people are frequently just going straight to plasma at this time.
0: Yeah, that's also my impression. Of what you tend to do right here, correct, when you treat? Yes, that is. Salutation.
1: Yeah, I can talk about that a little bit more later, but I think yeah. there's there's enough literature now out that suggests these adverse effects that I'm, even though I've not really personally witnessed it very frequently, I think there is still a big risk and it could even become a liability issue.
0: Okay, so then um, when should we use these HES solutions in horses? Um, after listening to all this, I'm, I'm worried you won't have many um, good situations you can come up with where they should be administered, but let's see what you have to say.
1: Yeah, so I used to use HES a lot. Obviously, when I was a resident, we were looking into it and seeing if it would have benefit in foals. And um, the study I did in healthy neonatal foals, we did find, you know, a benefit in increasing their oncotic pressure. We did not see significantly um, or significant clinical changes in their creatinine or coagulation um, parameters. However, in the face of a lot of this newer research, I really hesitate to use it from a liability standpoint, just because there's so much evidence, and especially human medicine that I think if those complications occurred, you could find yourself in a sticky place. So in my personal opinion, if I use these at all, I'd probably be more inclined to use them in cases where protein loss was ongoing. So not necessarily for resuscitation, but something like a stable full, relatively stable full with Lossonia or a colitis to try and mitigate kind of ongoing or future loss of oncotic pressure and to prevent new or worsening edema. Since we know now that it's unlikely to actually play any role in improving edema that's already there. Um, this has been shown to be fairly safe and healthy foals in adults. Um, but like I said, with the known risks in human um, human medicine, that's mostly taken from humans that are septic, I think I would hesitate a lot to use them in animals like, you know, septic foals or really endotoxemic adult horses. Um, a lot of the studies in horses do talk um, show that it increases blood pressure under anesthesia. And I think in, you know, elective cases, I think this is totally reasonable. However, I prefer that really sick colics that are undergoing surgery don't receive them due to the risk of coagulopathy. Um, And, you know, I would often then, if they are considered necessary, I would really advocate for a newer generation and a lower molecular weight option, such as tetrastarch, overhead of starch. Um, I touched on it a little bit before, but many of the reported side effects are attributed to accumulation of the starch molecules in tissues like the kidneys. And since the newer solutions are metabolized much more quickly, many of the side effects are less likely to occur, but it's not impossible. Um, so, you know, in some instances, I've also even gone as far as to get consent from a client before administering these substances. You know, clinically, um, I have seen really good responses, you know, in perfusion horses that are persistently tachycardic and have persistently low oncotic pressure. But I think it's just something you need to make the client aware of.
0: Yeah, it certainly sounds like that based on what you describe, um, that we, we, we have to be aware of possible complications probably more than we um, have been. So, um, yeah, thanks very much. I think that was a, a good summary. And um, for our readers, please, uh, for our listeners, um, please become a reader and um, have a look at the paper. There is a lot more detail in there, um, and uh, which will make it easier to understand some of the risks associated with the administration of these um, fluids. And um, following the publication of this podcast, this paper will be accessible um, at no charge. Um, for a month. So a great opportunity for anybody who is interested in this topic to learn a little bit more about it. So um, again, thank you very much, Kate. And and finally, what kind of take-home messages do you have for our listeners?
1: So I think the major things to remember are that um, there can be significant side effects of using HCS solutions. Um, I think in horses, probably coagulopathies is the most significant one um, you know just because they haven't been documented in horses doesn't mean that they don't happen the majority of horses or excuse me studies performed in horses have been done on healthy animals and even then there have been uh, mild coagulopathies and changes in clotting times observed and while clinically significant changes in renal parameters haven't been confirmed i suspect that would change significantly if studies were performed in endotoxemic or septic animals so if you're inclined to administer an HDS solution at all, I would definitely recommend using a newer generation product, so ideally a Tetra starch, that is less likely to have side effects and not to exceed the 20 mil per kg dose per day.
0: Excellent. I think that's a very nice conclusion. Um, thanks again, um, Dr. Hepworth, for um, being here today. And um, I hope our listeners will enjoy this or enjoy this as much as I did. Thank you. for listening to this equine veterinary education podcast more on the subjects discussed in this podcast can be found online at wileyonlinelibrary.com forward slash journal forward slash e